Lord, by the stripes which wounded thee, from death's dread sting, thy servants free, that we may live and sing to thee. Lord, thank you that you are here in your resurrection power and great love. Open our hearts to receive that power and that love, that we too may sing alleluia from the depths of our soul. Speak to us, Lord. Your servants are listening. For it is in the name of Jesus Christ, our risen Lord, that we pray. Amen. Please be seated. A little irreverence to start your Easter Sunday. Pontius Pilate speaking to Joseph of Arimathea. Joseph, I really don't understand you. You spent a small fortune on a new tomb for you and your family, and you want to give it away to this man, Jesus? Joseph replies, it's okay. It's only for the weekend. <laughs> I say that because quite honestly, if there should be one day in literally the entire Christian year that we should laugh a little at death, it's today. Today is the resounding celebration that death, as horrifying as it is, as horrible it is to even contemplate, has an end. And that end is the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We now know in a way that we never would have in any other time, in any other circumstance, or by any other act, that the man Jesus Christ is God in the flesh, and he who presided over all creation says to death, it's over. And something new breaks in. Now, I wanna tell you, I don't know about you, but I don't know how many of you are laughing these past two days, or particularly even this morning trying to get yourself or your family or your people you know ready to go to church. Um, it's not something to laugh at, quite frankly, unless you want to just see the sort of comedy in the midst of it all. Whether you're talking about all of a sudden something not fitting that you intended to wear this year or what it is that you're going to wind up eating after the service is over and have you called so-and-so yet or are you dreading the fact that somebody may show up today that you don't want to be here and yet guess what they're coming and how are you going to handle that one i mean that's sort of the that's the stuff of family gatherings isn't it it's what we all live with at one level or another which is why, quite frankly, it's more important than ever to take a celebration that is so crowded in, for many of us at least, with so many social obligations, to just exhale. And know that the resurrection from the dead is literally more important than any of it. Than any of it. So we come to the celebration 
this time of joy with hopes and fears and even griefs. People who aren't here that should have been otherwise. People, whether it's because they passed away or they missed their plane or they have other obligations or you're dealing with rejection because the person you hoped was coming really isn't going to come and you have the secret fear that they didn't want to come, no matter what the excuse was. It's a part of what all of us lived with, lived with. So that honestly on this Sunday morning, laughing at death and facing the pain we know are also this, a part of a journey together. Holy Week and a deep part of Easter. When you start talking about people who first began to talk about the resurrection, the feeling you get from them, and it has not lost its power, is the feeling of astonishment. Listen to this, fourth century. Peter Chrysologus writes these words, the order of thing has, things have changed. The tomb devours death, but not the dead. The house of death becomes the mansion of life. Astonishment indeed. That's what we hear heralded even in the New Testament. First Peter says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. By his great mercy, we have been born anew to a living hope. How? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Punctuation marks aren't in the original Greek, but believe me, I'd want to put an exclamation point right at the end of that sentence. Or listen to a more contemporary voice, Brian Zahn. On Holy Saturday, death dared to try to swallow God, but death cannot digest divinity. Death's brazen attempt to swallow Christ has led to death's demise. Death is swallowed up in victory. Or Karl Barth, one of the preeminent theologians of the 20th century, says quite simply, I am a Christian because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. That is the declaration of anyone who in integrity calls him or herself a Christian. It's not about an inherited heritage of church or faith or a kind of an affiliative relationship because, you know, I go because that's what they believe. There is, in fact, a demarcation line. And the line of demarcation is this. Do you believe that God raised Jesus Christ from the dead? If you do that, if you can say that, you have every reason in the world to call yourself a Christian. So we're here to talk about an empty tomb, not a metaphor for spring and new life and awakening, but instead something that is marked in time and history, something that can be seen with the human eyes. Notice the emphasis in Matthew's gospel of seeing. Mary comes to see the grave. The angel instructs Mary to see the place where they laid him. Mary is to go and to tell the other disciples that they will see Jesus on the road to Galilee. It is as if the very physical nature of the resurrection is emphasized more than anything else. In other words, this is no vision. This is no ephemeral dream wiped away by the mists of reality. This is something that has really, in fact, happened. 
It is their seeing on which we rely. While reports occur regularly of people coming back from the dead, and they report that they may have seen a light, or even some say that they see Jesus, resurrection is something that's still quite beyond us. And so what do we rely on? We rely on witnesses. But notice, it's a certain kind of witness upon which we rely. I want to point to you to the reading that came out of the book of Acts, where it says, gosh, if I can find it. Oh, here we are. Notice this. Peter's preaching this point to a huge crowd. And he says, after he affirms that God raised Jesus on the third day, and what? Allowed him to appear, not to all people, but to us who were chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. In other words, there is a certain kind of person that God chooses to declare the resurrection. And who are they? The people who ate and drank with him. The people he calls, what in the Gospel of John? His friends. His friends. Because the invitation of Easter is an invitation not into a declaration of an historic fact or even to affirm some sort of vision that people have seen in the sky, but rather what we're invited into is the fact of history that is a person with whom we are commanded, called, invited to enter into a relationship of friendship. When we come to the table this morning, we are literally going to be repeating the long line of the friends of Jesus who are eating and drinking with him. This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me, not remembering as in thinking about what Jesus did 2,000 years ago, but remembering that which we presently know to be the truth that began in history but continues in this history in our history, the presence and resurrection power of the Holy Spirit within us, within our hearts and minds, that we too, right now, 2023, can claim to be men and women who walk in that same wonder, that same astonishment, that same incredible joy, even, yes, that same holy laughter that death is defeated, so that we understand that even in the worst that life has to offer, God gives us the capacity to see eternity even in the presence of the difficulty and even pain of suffering. It is the victory over death that puts all grief and suffering in a new light. The resurrection of Jesus Christ, you see, does not spare us from suffering except perhaps the suffering of utter despair, those who have no hope in the world at all. Why? Because the resurrection of Jesus makes clear that the power of death is broken and the gate of eternal life is open to all who put their trust in him. We who trust in Christ are given power not to avoid suffering or to live in the fear of suffering. 
Very, very important because there are people, this is the quote out of Hebrews, who all their lives live in the fear of death. I cannot think of, in fact, a more tragic or self-enclosing system that everything that you look at, you see through the lens of the fear of suffering and death. But instead, we know that God will give us eyes to see through suffering, even into the gate of glory. The colic says, open to us the gate of everlasting life. And who is that? That is for all who put their trust in him. How much trust do you need? Actually, not very much. The Bible talks about, remember, a mustard seed of faith. What does that mean in sort of the practical? That in this life that is so filled with pain and suffering and denial and all the kinds of things that would laugh at us rather than giving us the grace to laugh at death when we feel like we're absolutely hanging on by our fingernails trying to put one foot in front of the other. What we do not know is that even in that moment, the very unseen arm and hand of Jesus scarred as it is with his own wounds, literally comes around us and continues to allow us to move forward because he has said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Nothing can take you out of my hand. We who trust in Christ are given the power to know a God who has conquered death, and as our living Lord says, I am with you always, even to the end of the ages. So I would encourage you, even this morning, there isn't anybody here who hasn't had a really tough time. And there are very few here that is not, have escaped some kind of personal trauma. It is a part of the life in which we live. In fact, it is the trick of the evil one to look at, help you look at your history and say to that history, you know, there's no one who's had it as badly as you do. There's no one who has been made more of a fool than you have. There is no one who has been as horrifically mistreated and even betrayed by people you love as you. And given our perfectionistic age to hear of that trauma and that terrible reminder of condemnation translates to us as fear of personal failure. I should have handled it better. Why didn't I see that coming? All the signs were there. Why did I miss them? And why did I allow all of that to continue to happen to me? All of that, beloved, all of it is in fact the enemy laughing at you and making fun of you for not being good enough. Only the gospel comes in and in the power of the erection looks at all of that mockery, banishes Satan. Remember the line out of the book of Acts? Under the power of the devil, banishes Satan, banishes that voice of condemnation and says, come to me, all you who are broken, weary, heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And we have the experience of knowing the power of Jesus that seeps into the deepest parts of our soul and begins to pour into us a healing balm, a word of mercy and forgiveness to stop even the most tyrannical voice of perfectionism, 
Beloved, there is no other place where the power of death is defeated like what we see in Jesus of Nazareth and what we can experience even here and now. We are here today to know that and look at the power of the enemy and say to him, yeah, go talk to Jesus. There is another greater. There is another more wonderful. There is another more tender and strong. And beloved, today is the day of all days to find ways asking God to help us to cast those cares on him and to know the joy, the freedom, the holy laughter of the resurrection from the dead. Christ is risen. Amen.